Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. Well, my name is Pradeep, and I'm one of the pastors here. And today, I'm going to continue our series in the book of Galatians. And we're going to continue with the second half of the first chapter. And we're going to talk about Paul the Apostle's transformation, where he goes from a terrorist of the church to an evangelist, where he goes from a murderer to a martyr. And he has this incredible story where he changes gears, changes directions. In fact, many of us know him in the book of Acts as Saul, but then he starts going by Paul. He has this amazing story of life change. But some of us, when we hear about stories of life change, we are naturally a little bit skeptical. You ever hear someone say, this changed my life. I'll never be the same. You have to try this. It changes everything. And you're thinking, yeah, right. I've heard that story before. I've seen people say those claims before. I am naturally skeptical. Well, if you ever heard someone say, this changes my life and you don't believe them, it's probably because of people like me. Because I, uh, I'm constantly finding the newest fad, trend, exercise, diet, and I'm telling my friends, my family, my community, this is going to adjust every single thing in my life. Who's ever been with me on one of my fads? I'm telling you what, I've done the master cleanse. I've done Soylent. I've been about keto or being vegan or vegetarian. I've tried high intensity interval training. I have gotten into pickleball. Can I get a good amen? Wednesday nights at seven o'clock international school in Bellevue, my small group. Join me. We're talking Super Smash Brothers, all of these things. I get into them, and every time I do, I claim it changes my life. I've never felt better. I've never had more energy. You have to get into it. And people, when they don't know me very well, they're like, oh my gosh, I got to consider this. But my, my loving wife, she's like, all right, here we go again. Pradeepan's obsessed with something for three months, and he's going to guilt me if I don't participate in it because this is revolutionary. So what is my fad right now? Well, let me show you something I found on the side of the road last week, and I brought it into our home. I found this. It had a sign on the side of the road that said, free work good, and I was convinced immediately... (laughs) I brought this into my house. Why did I bring this into my house? Because I want to turn it into an ice bath. Anybody here do ice baths? A few. Do you really? Do you really? Amazing. So Zach Burke, who had a birthday just yesterday, he said, hey, I've been doing these ice baths, and you've got to try it. Come over. So I brought some friends over. And what you do is you submerge yourself in water that's like 32 degrees. It's freezing. And you have to hold yourself in there for about four minutes, and then you end with the head plunge. 
And that seems crazy. And so I'm telling my wife, you've got to do this. Let's show this next picture. And you can see she is starting to go through the process of turning this chest freezer into an ice bath. And so that's a freezer that you put ice cream in or other vegetables, other foods, and you uh, plug it in and it cools. Well, I'm putting lots of water in this electrical device. So pray for our family that we don't... <laughs> have more shocking experiences than the ice itself. And what you do is you submerse yourself in that water and it helps decrease inflammation. It helps you with your serotonin, testosterone, and dopamine levels. They say it helps you with your immunity and it helps with all sorts of sicknesses. And I'm telling you what, when you are in that water and you face the death of hypothermia, you get out of that feeling like, I can live for anything. And your motivation increases. And who's with me? Who wants to do an ice bath with me? I'm telling you what. It's important, it's necessary, it will change your life forever. Can I get a good amen? Thank you. But I feel, I feel some skepticism. And so with every head, <laughs> we've got an ice bath prepared today. <laughs> Sandra, who's getting baptized in second service today, is very concerned. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to. It's too late. We signed the documents. You have to get baptized in the ice waters of our faith. You know, but I, I can't blame us for feeling a little skeptical when we hear these stories. Because every social media influencer that's saying something is great is an influencer because they're trying to influence us, right? And we've heard things in our society that brings us this skepticism. Maybe you can help me finish this phrase when it comes to someone trying to change who they are, trying to change their lifestyle. Finish this phrase if you know it. Once a cheater, always a cheater. We live in a society that says, hey, once you've done something, you can't really change easy. People don't really change. They just reveal who they really are. If someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time, especially when it comes to something bad. And so as a society, we label people and immortalize people based on their worst decision in their worst moment. Have you ever noticed that? And especially in this day of social media, I feel so much pain for young people in our generation because when you make a mistake and it's documented and posted on social media, that is the label and the mark you carry for the rest of your life. Those things will follow you as you look for jobs, as you go on dates and people lurk who you are. One moment of indiscretion wipes out a lifetime of character. And that's why we hear these phrases like once a cheater, always a cheater. But is that what the gospel says? Is that what Jesus Christ promotes? Well, I don't believe that's the good news of the gospel. I believe that the gospel says something entirely different, that people can change. That people can adjust and learn and grow and evolve and develop. 
And this is the context of the second half of Galatians chapter 1, where Paul the Apostle is speaking. He's preaching to these churches in Galatia. He's bringing in a new message of grace. He's saying, hey, you're not saved by changing yourself. You're not saved by rituals like circumcision. Salvation is a free gift, and all we have to do is receive. But in this section of the scriptures, Paul has to defend his character a little bit because these churches couldn't help but wonder, wait, Paul, you're saying that all we have to do is experience the free gift of salvation. Aren't you the same person that was persecuting the church because you were this high level Jewish leader. You were the Pharisee of Pharisees. You were the Sadducee of Sadducees. And you were making sure that there are no cults in the church, nobody following these wayward paths of religion. And you were persecuting the church. You were bringing men and women, dragging them out of their houses and overseeing their deaths and murderers. I mean, you even were part of watching as the apostle and one of the ministers, Stephen, was stoned to death. You killed our people, Paul. You killed the people in the church. And now you have the audacity to write us a letter and say that salvation is just this free gift. And you don't have to go through rituals. You don't have to go through rites of passages. When you were the one who held us to the letter of the law and you killed us, for this very same message. So understandably, they were skeptical of his life change. They were skeptical about what he said. And this is why he writes in verse 11 of chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, and called me by grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that my, I might preach him among the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. And as I, I study this, this passage and I see the life of Paul who went from terrorist to evangelist, I can't help but learn and be moved by this spiritual principle. Point number one. You are not broken beyond God's repair. God is in the business of turning messes, messes into messages and tests into testimonies. I believe that people change. I believe that people can change. I know we've been taught lessons like once a cheater, always a cheater. But instead of canceling us, Jesus Christ canceled the debt that we carried. Instead of giving up on us and saying, we're a lost cause, we are in the business of redemption and restoration as the church with Jesus Christ as the author and finisher of our faith. We may have messed up, we may have failed, but no one in this room is beyond redemption, restoration, and repair. And this is what we see in the story of Galatians. 
I mean, everybody has a past, including Paul. I mean, you can't spell pastor without past. Can I get a better amen? <laughs> I believe people can change. For example, growing up, I hated olives. But you know what I love today? I love olives. Pastor Ramitha, you know what I'm talking about. They taste good. I remember as a, a college student, I hated grapefruits. Someone said, grapefruits are good for you. So I decided I'm going to eat a grapefruit every single day until I like grapefruits. You know what happened? I like grapefruits. <laughs> is that acquired taste? Or is that neuroplasticity of the brain? You tell me. <laughs> Chat GPT didn't have an answer for me. <laughs> what is neuroplasticity? Have you ever heard that phrase? A brain can change. Neuroplasticity is a brain's ability to change and adapt due to experience. It is an umbrella term referring to the brain's ability to change, reorganize, or grow neural networks. This can involve functional changes due to brain damage or structural changes due to learning. And so we see that throughout the scriptures, God can change us, our brain can adjust, we can learn to like things, we can acquire different skills. The scriptures are pretty clear that people can change. And I love this quote by A.W. Tozer. He's a great author, and he writes this. God does not change us in order that we may be saved, but he saves us in order that we may change. And so, like we've been talking about in this series, the root of salvation, how we get saved, how we experience a, a true, unfettered relationship with Jesus, the, the root of salvation is a free gift, but the fruit of salvation is a changed life. And God saves us and rescues us, not by our own works, but once he saves us, he begins a process of transforming, of sanctifying us once we are justified. You know, as a, a young man, I was extremely violent. Before I was Christian, I would get in fights all the time. In fact, my freshman year of high school, I got over 40 detentions. I got in school and out of school suspensions for fighting, for punching. In fact, I used to be so violent that I would, I would fight my own mom. I would punch her in the face. I would fight my own sister. I would punch her in the face. I would get in all sorts of trouble. I remember the day that my parents got divorced and I found out that our house was being foreclosed on and that my mom would be living out of her car and homelessness. I took a sledgehammer and I destroyed all the windows and the drywall in my home because I carried this rage and this anger, and this violence inside of me. Nobody would have thought that I would be a pastor today. But God got a hold of my life. He had a plan for me, and I, I encountered his presence. And I'm telling you what, there are a lot of things in my life that I'm still working out with fear and trembling. There are a lot of things that I still struggle with and I deal with. But for some reason, when I gave my life to Jesus, my violent and rage-filled tendencies stopped. It was a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't something I could explain by any other way. In fact, my whole family was like, there's something different about you. 
My family that was not following the ways of Jesus. They were not churchgoers. But now I'm thankful to say that they follow Jesus Christ. And many of them say, we saw the change in your life. We knew that you couldn't do this in your own strength. We knew that this wasn't just willpower. You were just a young teenager. But then all of a sudden, you changed your ways. And it was like God made you a new creation. And I believe he did. And I believe that this room is filled with stories of life change and transformation. Why is that? Because God is in the business of changing lives. He changes hearts. He shifts who we are. He gives us new names and new identities. And this is what we see throughout the scriptures. And I know in this room that there are voices that we hear in our mind saying, you will never be a good person. You will never be a good husband. You will never be a good wife. You will never be a good friend. You will never be a good parent. You're too jacked up. You're too messed up. You're a mistake. This world would be better off without you. You're beyond repair. Not even God can fix this junk and this past and this history that you have in your life. But Paul the Apostle says, but God in his mercy chose to change my life. And I want you to know that nobody in this room is beyond God's repair, restoration, and redemption. Because God is in the business of turning messes into messages. He's in the business of turning tests into testimonies. We all have a past and a history, but God in his rich mercy, he doesn't cancel us. He cancels the death that has surrounded us all of our lives. And so our story isn't about how bad we are. It's about how good our God is. And this is what I'm seeing in the scripture. And so Paul, he, he talks about his transformation, but then he talks about this personal encounter he has with God. He says, I, I was going on in one direction. You know my former way of life, and we all have a former way of life. He says, you knew this about me, how I, I excelled in Judaism, how I was zealous for the traditions of my father, but God got a hold of me. You see, Paul, he was known as someone who had a lot of righteousness. He had a lot of clout. He had a lot of education. He had a lot of credentials. But did you know that you can know a lot about God, but not know God yeah. personally? Yeah. At some point in our faith, we have to go from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. Right. We have to go from knowing about God to knowing God personally. And second thing I'm seeing in the scripture is this. Knowing God and knowing about God, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. I believe that you need a personal encounter with God. The scripture says in Acts that Paul was still breathing threats against the church. Remember, he's pulling women, men out of their houses and overseeing that they would get stoned to death. He was persecuting the church. He's on his way on this famous encounter, the road to Damascus. Paul is on his journey, and then suddenly he sees a bright light and a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Why are you doing this? And he has this encounter with God. And just one moment like that, after reading all the scriptures, after knowing the Torah, after going to synagogue, after researching what the Messiah would look like, the prophecies that the Messiah, the Savior, would have to fulfill, after spending his whole life proving himself in these ways, he has one encounter with Jesus Christ, and suddenly his life turns around. I believe that we as a people need to go from knowing about God to knowing God personally. I believe that one encounter in the presence of the Lord can change our life forever. And so Paul, in this process of being transformed, I, I want you to notice that he didn't, he didn't go to an institution. He didn't go through a series of credentialing or teachers. In fact, in verse 17, he says, after this Transformation, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, who was leading the church, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. And so Paul has this encounter of God and uh, you know, some might think that Paul immediately began preaching. He immediately began to learn the ways and the customs of the institution of God. But he does something interesting. He has this moment with Jesus, and then he goes into Arabia. Some, some biblical scholars would say Arabia is where Mount Sinai is as far as what biblical Arabia would be. And this would be where Moses went up on the mountain to spend time with God. Uh, another word people often use for Mount Sinai in Arabia would be Mount Horeb. And this is, could be the same mountain where Elijah, he went and got away with God and rescued and recovered by the spirit of the Lord. And I just think this is amazing that Paul, instead of going through all the institutionalized credentials to prove that he's a preacher, he's called to go to the Gentiles, he simply spent time alone with God, getting to know the ways, the process, and the custom. And I, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I love the church, I love education, I love church history, I love studying theologians, but at the end of the day, our call is to know Jesus personally. And we cannot vicariously get our credentialing and our authority and our love of God through intermediaries. In other words, your Grandma's faith is not your faith. Your parents' faith is not your faith. My faith as a pastor is not your faith. You need a personal relationship with God. I mean, I, and I'm preaching to myself. I love to read books about God. I love to listen to sermons about God. I love to listen to music about God. I even like writing sermons about God. But there are some times in my life where I can spend so much time learning about God that I forget to spend time with God. There's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. For example, who's ever heard of LeBron James? Who knows LeBron James? Who knows a fact about LeBron James besides the fact that he was swept by the Nuggets in the playoffs? Who knows a fact? Just shout it out. A church-appropriate fact. He plays basketball. Or what else? He's from Cleveland. Great fact. 
Good actor. Space Jam 2 reference. <laughs> he got dropped from high school. Drafted from high school. That's right. Second greatest basketball. And all the people of God said, amen. Amen. Totally agree. What? We got a hand back here? He has at least two sons. He has at least two sons. <laughs> all right. Great facts. Great facts. All right. So we, we have a lot of knowledge about LeBron James. Who here personally knows LeBron James? Tori. Liar. Okay, the fact is, you can know a lot about someone. You can lurk someone on social media. You can read someone's blog. You can go to someone's YouTube. You can learn all the information about someone without knowing someone personally. And I, I think this could be a description of our faith if we're not careful. We need a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Some of us, we've been trying to change and transform in our own willpower, in our own strength. And I'm, I'm all for appropriate means of facilitating life change. But at the end of the day, we need to go to the source of life. And his name is Jesus Christ. We need him to shine his light on the dark areas of our soul and help us to grow and become who God is calling us to be. We can't ignore that forever. Because I, I pray for us as a congregation that we wouldn't just like go through the motions of church and miss Jesus. That we wouldn't have a good program and production. And at the end of the day, you wouldn't know God personally for yourself. Where you have a life where you can pray with God. He can hear your voice, but you can also hear his voice. That when you read the scriptures, you're not just reading words, but the scriptures are reading you as well. I believe that is possible for your life, and it's necessary. And through that, we will experience life change. Instead of going to the symptom, we go to the source, and we experience a life with him. It, it, it's beautiful, and I believe that it's necessary for us to encounter him. When was the last time you encountered the spirit of the living God? I mean, we live in such a busy culture. Everything's trying to hurry us and hustle us. We're so intent on distracting ourselves. We're so uncomfortable with the silence. But I believe it's in that stillness where we say, Lord, I want to be in your presence. Lord, I want to be with you. I don't just want to learn about you. I don't just want to vicariously love you. I don't want the faith of someone else, but I want to know you for myself. Because I'm telling you what, this love, this presence, this person, he's real. He's alive. And he wants to spend time with you. And so Paul is transformed by one moment, one personal encounter with God. And I believe you can experience the same thing. Third thing I'm seeing in this scripture is this. Believing in God helps us believe in people. And like I, I've been saying, I know we're, Naturally skeptical when someone says, hey, I know I was trying to murder you, church, but I would like to preach this week. Is that okay? And you're like, uh, once a murderer, always a murderer. But when you have personally experienced the transforming power of God, and when you know, I, I know what God's done in my life 
So now I, I can have an easier time believing that maybe God's done something in their life as well. I've learned this principle that believing in God helps us believe in people. Because if God could change me, who couldn't he change? And if God did this in my life back then, maybe he can do it again. And so believing in God helps me to believe in people. And I, I know we've been hurt by people around us. And I know that there can be a difference between forgiveness and complete trust. I know that there can be a difference between reconciliation and, and things being status quo and normal like they used to be. I realize that and I want to be sensitive to that. But I, I want to pay attention to what the church did. Because the, the church received Paul after he had been persecuting the church. And I just think this is remarkable. But it didn't come easy. In fact, hearing about the story of Paul saying, I'm a new person, and then going to the church, he was met with some skepticism. Let's read about it in Acts 9.26. When Saul, remember he used to go by Saul, Paul, same person we're talking about. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. Why? Because he would lock them up, throw them out of the house. He had a reputation. I would be afraid of him too. But they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. Beautiful story. And this is what the church went on to do. And I'm so proud and impressed and moved and honestly a little bit challenged by the church. Continuing in Galatians 1 verse 21. After that visit, this is Paul talking about this encounter and this transformation. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. And still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And I think that's a reasonable statement. That's something all of us would say. Hey, the one who used to persecute us, he's now trying to preach to us. But this is the verse that moves me and challenges me and makes me a little bit uncomfortable as a church leader. And they praise God because of me. And they praise God because of me. I mean, real honest question. If someone was murdering the people in Kalos church or overseeing their execution, if someone was physically overseeing people pulling you, your significant others, out of the home and having them being punished and tortured or killed, and then a couple years later, that person came back to Kalos and said, hey, I want to preach to you. Would you be comfortable with Pastor Amrita and I placing them on the stage? I mean, we read about church scandals and another pastoral failing. And all the time we say, oh, that pastor messed up. They're never going to preach again. And then if they do preach again, we're like, what are they doing on the stage again? They committed a horrible crime. Well, this is the exact scenario that Paul the Apostle is dealing with. Going from murder to martyr to minister. Going from terrorist to evangelist. And I'm going to be honest, practically, I don't have like a perfect answer for how we strategize as church leaders, because we do want to create a safe place and a safe environment. But I have to say, I'm really impressed with this church that we see, that they would 
They were able to receive someone who hurt them in such a deep way. They're able to facilitate forgiveness and reconciliation in a way that has benefited all of church history. I mean, the fact is, we have these letters from Paul the Apostle that has challenged our faith, that has encouraged us because the early church didn't immediately cancel him. Now, am I saying he preached right away? No, he went through a process. He spent years learning the ways of Jesus. He had a personal encounter. He went through the leaders. He went through the church. He didn't just have a personal encounter with God and say, trust me. He went through a process, but that process led to redemption and restoration and for God to use him as an instrument to reach the Gentiles who knew what it was like to be ostracized from the people of God. You know, and I I just, I totally believe that we're all stories in process. In the band, you can come up. But the church needs to be a place where Stories can process. You know, it's one of the reasons we share testimonies every single week here on Sunday. Because we realize, like, many of us are a work in progress, and our stories aren't all wrapped up tidy in a nice little bow. We don't all have the end and the resolution of our stories right now. But I love that the church, even Kalos Church, isn't just like a museum that collects perfect people, but we are a hospital for the broken. And people can come as they are, and we can say, hey, you may have messed up. You might have a history. You might have a past. In fact, you might have even hurt me personally, but I still believe that God has a plan for your life and that you are not beyond restore, repair, and redemption. And I know a lot of us in a cancel culture where you're always one moment of indiscretion away from losing a lifetime of character and friendships. I know we've been trained in that way, but I really want us to be a community, a church where we can say, hey, I'm going to love you where you are, and I'm going to do my best to believe that God is working on you. And I'm not going to discount you if God's not discounting you. And if God's not done with you, I don't believe that the church should be done with you. You know, today in our, in our huddle, we just had someone share a testimony about how when she got pregnant as a teenager in a church, her mom said, I don't want you to come to the church anymore because you got pregnant out of wedlock and you need, a, you need to hide this. But I, I want us to be a church where we can come as we are and we can say, all right, the church isn't going to be the place where people believe the worst about me but they believe the best about me and that we're all a work in progress and that nobody is beyond repair and we could spend our time hating on people or we could spend our time loving on people. And we don't know what God could do with our stories and how he could shape us for the better. And so that's why we gather. And I'm so impressed that the church made room for Paul the apostle to grow in a way that benefited us all. And so as we learn from the scripture, I I just want to challenge us. Would you not let the voices that say your story is over win? Would you believe that God has a plan for your life and he can help you right now as you are where you are? Would you not live your faith vicariously through someone else? But would you press in and lean into God and let him love you personally? Would you let him encounter you personally? 
Would you let him speak to you? And would you make church a place where people can be a work in progress and where we can help facilitate the growth of others by believing in the best of God's work in each and every single one of us? And I believe if we can do that, we can truly be a beautiful church. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that you would help us to apply this in our lives. I pray that you'd help us to make room for stories in progress. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to not put a period where you're putting a comma. We know that nobody's life is beyond change. And so, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't label people as once a cheater, always a cheater, once a thief, always a thief, once a liar, always a liar, once a mess up, always a mess up, once a failure, always a failure, once this, always that. But Lord, would you help us to acknowledge and receive the message that we are all sinners, but by God's mercy, we are saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ and a grace that overflows because of the sacrifice he made on the cross for each and every one of us. We pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, we would actually love to see you in person, and we meet at 9.45 and 11.30 every Sunday in Bellevue. If you're interested, you can just go to www.kalos.church. All the information you need is there, and we hope to see you there. Thanks again for joining us at the Kalos Church Podcast.